to Building Stronger Creatives, a fitness podcast for musicians, artists, nerds, and former misfits. I'm a former out-of-shape professional musician turned personal trainer and nutrition coach to hundreds of clients, and I'll give you no-nonsense information about what it really takes to get and stay fit within the context of a creative life. Here, you'll find practical advice on strength and endurance training, sane and simple nutrition, habit building, and time management tools to help you make lifestyle changes that actually stick. Most fitness coaches have no clue what it really means to be a creative, whether you're a professional or a passionate hobbyist. I'm different. I've been where you are, and I share your values. Let me show you how you can use the gym to build a kick-ass creative life. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Building Stronger Creatives. We have another guest episode today. I'm really excited to speak with Ryan Beach. I'm going to let Ryan introduce himself and tell you a little bit about who he is and what he does in a minute. Before we start, I just want to say that Ryan and I have a few things in common. I'm not sure he actually knows all of this. We both have a podcast, which I definitely recommend you check out his podcast, which is called That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. Especially if you're a musician, it's a super, super helpful show. A lot of interesting guests and topics. We're both brass players. We are both from Nebraska. I'm not sure if Ryan knows this. Um, Omaha, right? Yeah, okay, so you did know. He's from Lincoln and I'm from Omaha. And then we both were at Northwestern University together. So Ryan was doing his master's degree when I was doing the first part of my undergrad. And I remember, I remember specifically that when I went to hear some of the higher ensembles at Northwestern, like Symphonic Wind Ensemble in the, our higher orchestra, hearing players like Ryan and being like, wow, I am in a school with a lot of really talented people. So I just remember like looking up to him as a player, which he probably has no idea about. But we were there at a really cool time. Uh, a lot of our classmates, including Ryan, are playing in orchestras or have jobs now. So it was just a really, really fun and special time to be there. I'm excited to talk to Ryan today about the intersection of music and fitness and some other things. But before we get into that, I want to let him tell you a little bit more about who he is and what he does. Well, I appreciate that nice introduction. Yeah, I did know you're from Nebraska, which is kind of a cool connection because I'm often, I feel the first person that someone meets from Nebraska. It seems like a common thing when I say, I'm from Nebraska. Like, oh, I've never met anybody from Nebraska. So it's cool that we have that connection. It's very kind of you to say those words uh, about our time in grad or my time in grad school together. Um, you never know, obviously. I feel like a lot of the things I did back then, I look back and I say, I wish I would have done things a little bit differently, but it's nice to know there were some positive things too. Uh, yeah, so I'm Ryan Beach. I am currently the principal trumpet with the Alabama Symphony Orchestra. I have been here. Next year will be my 10th season, which seems hard to believe. It has, it's a, that's an awesome place, I think. I love Birmingham. Uh, the job is, Great for me. I know everyone has a different relationship with their job, but the job here, uh, I have a lot of freedom, I suppose. And as principal, a fair amount of autonomy in my job, which I think helps my job satisfaction, is, I suppose. I am married. Uh, my wife is the principal clarinetist with the ASO, We and she has two kids from a previous marriage, and I instantly became a dad when we Got together when we got married, so that was a whole awesome thing to uh, learn about and to grow into. Beyond that, uh, as we will talk about, I have a a love or a passion or sometimes a love-hate relationship with fitness. Uh, I've been, I guess I would call myself a power lifter. I don't, I've never competed, but I, most of my training surrounds the big three lifts with overhead press in there as well. I've done some strongman related stuff as well, and then early on in my lifting life, I I feel like I cut my teeth on bodybuilding style things, but I've sort of gravitated towards lifting heavy weights as the thing that I enjoy the most. So I've gotten really into videography. I've got a YouTube channel of my own trumpet related stuff. I obviously, as you described, have a podcast that I started back in 2019. And so uh, I feel I've sort of come into a fairly varied career and I really enjoy all the different things I get to do. And so I suppose that's a relatively quick overview, I suppose, of who I am and the things that I do. Yeah, it's pretty cool to see all the different arenas that you've explored in your business. In addition to being a principal player in an orchestra, it's nice to see people exploring their different interests. And like you said, having the freedom to do that, I think that's pretty cool. 
So I definitely want to hear more about your journey into fitness. I have to say, I don't think I've ever listened to another music podcast that quotes people like Dave Tate. <laughs> Um, and I'm, I'm just very interested in like the origin story of how you started lifting weights and then how you got into powerlifting specifically, because I, I was into it in music school, but when I was into it, I, I felt like I was the only one. And uh, even now there's definitely more emphasis on strength training, but, but someone that's so into lifting really heavy weights and into powerlifting, I think is a little unusual. So I'd love to hear how that started for you. How did you get into all this? So in grad school, I spent a lot of time drinking and a lot of time eating Taco Bell and going to, you know, BK Lounge, right? It's closed now, RIP. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. <laughs> but I spent a lot of time not taking care of myself. You know, I put, there's a lot of, I think a lot of what I'm about to say is going to resonate with what you've talked about on your podcast. So I have definitely resonated with previous ep those solo episodes you did sort of at the beginning. I put a lot of pressure on myself to achieve. I had a lot of desires to become in the direction of what my career has been. But I, if you would have asked me 10 years ago, it would have been something like Chicago, New York, Boston, you know, trying to achieve at the highest level. And it was like a pressure cooker, right? Like all the time, it was like, I'm trying to achieve, I'm trying to make things happen. I'm working as hard as I can. And so essentially partying became the release for that, right? And so I also have the good or bad fortune, depending on how you look at it. I never really got hangovers. and I never really got sick. So those two deterrents that a lot of people get for like curtailing how much they drink, I didn't have. And so goodness sake, back at that time, it was pretty incredible the amount that I could ingest and then function the next day. So at that time, I was just ingesting a lot of alcohol, which is certainly beyond the negative health consequences, carries a lot of calories, right? And then I was eating like two chicken sandwiches, like Hershey Sunday pie. I was just like living my best life, if you want to call it that. But also it, it had a, it took its toll. I gained a fair amount of weight and it wasn't, you know, like it wasn't muscle or anything like that because I wasn't training. And so essentially what happened is I graduated and then I started in the Indianapolis Symphony in like 2013, 2014 season. And I was living alone. And so I knew that I had to adjust something, right? I was like, I gotta, I gotta make some sort of changes because like I had a great time doing it, but now I'm like feeling the effects. So I, on New Year's, I made one of those New Year's resolutions, right? My New Year's resolution was to get a six pack and to not, not stop whatever I'm doing until I got a six pack. And I will say to this day, I have never had a six pack. So I have not achieved that goal, but it's kind of like, it was an important thing for me because when you say something like I want to get a six pack, there's a fair amount of things that come along with that, right? Like I have to learn like, what is that? You know? And so I bought a body weight training program. Cause I was sort of like, basically like afraid to go to the gym. Cause I didn't know much. And I felt relatively insecure. So I was like, all right, I'll just start with like a body weight program doing it at home. You know, you're just like doing burpees and pushups or whatever. Right. And I bought like a pull-up bar, I remember, and I couldn't do a pull-up. So I did those like, you know, forced eccentrics where you jump up and slowly let yourself down. I did all those types of things, just really feeling like just trying, basically trying something. And I had the time to do it because, you know, I just had the time to do it. And then also the, the nutrition part of it, trying to learn about nutrition. And it's interesting because at the time that I was watching it, like Athlean X was like, maybe a year old, right? So it was like back in this like era of YouTube where people were just starting, I feel like to post about fitness and things like that. And now it's like crazy. There's just so much out there that you can get to both, I think very valuable. And then also some things that aren't as helpful. And so, um, yeah, I was just, I just wa started watching hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of like like what kind of diet is this and like what macronutrient ratio like i feel like it was out of order right like i was i wasn't like getting a a structured these are the things we'll do now and the things now like you would if you had a coach they would just wherever you're at these are the things that we'll do so i was just absorbing like every amount of information and then it just took so much longer to like put it all in the right place right so but like you know i had the time and whatever and then with training, it was like watching videos on routines and like how to structure a routine or just like sort of observing how routines are structured, you know, like relatively compound exercises first and then you move into more isolation and lower reps into higher reps and stuff like that. And, um, you know, I would I would almost steal rep, like uh, routines from people. 
and say, I'm going to do this routine. That's a really cool thing, except those people are like high functioning athletes or like bodybuilders. And I'm like a new trainee who probably shouldn't be doing that. That took me way too long to learn. And so, um, yeah, it's just watching hours and just doing like I'm absorbing information that I'm not using. Right. I was doing a body weight program, but I'm also watching stuff about like deadlifting and squatting, just sort of sort of learning what's out there. And then when I moved to Alabama, I was teaching at this school called Sanford University and they had a gym and I could go to it for free. And so I actually started working out with some of the students there. And that's kind of where once I did that, it was like once I started actually lifting weights, I was like, okay, this is the thing that I'm going to do. Like I this is of all of the forms of exercise I've ever tried to engage with. This feels like it's like up my alley, like I can work really hard, but I'm not running for like. 90 minutes and you know i mean like i'm more of a i will work as hard like super hard for a very short amount of time than like sort of a more endurance type thing and so you know then you're learning about form and you're learning about these things and i think it was coinciding in alabama with with also what was happening in my trumpet playing which was i got my job i got tenure and then i was like now what like now what goal am i going to achieve cuz everything was geared towards getting a job that was the thing pushing me forward so now i'm like goal less right so i do some recitals but that didn't really do anything and i think i got to a point where i was like i don't know what to do to get better i'm sort of like i just stopped more or less i was like i don't i just don't know what to do so i'm maybe just going to quote stop caring like i certainly did what i needed to do to be ready for my job but i wasn't necessarily pushing my limits if you want to call it that the same way i would have been in school and so that opened up this arena for me because i'm someone who likes to solve puzzles i feel like it was i had this itch that i needed to scratch about learning about something and that's where i think fitness took over right all of a sudden it was this thing that i was a beginner at and i could learn all sorts of things and so that was super, that was like at a time in my life where I needed something like that, fitness just entered into it. And I became obsessed. I mean, I'm kind of have that obsessive personality trait, I guess, if you call it that. And so, like I said, I was doing my job, but it was like, I did what I needed to do. And almost all of my free time, I would be in concerts thinking about my deadlift session the next day, you know, stuff like that. Like I was so obsessed for years. I like almost never missed a workout. I remember I flew to Malaysia to play with the orchestra there. I played the Brandenburg with the Malaysian Phil. And then I flew back. It's like a, it was like a 24 hour, 48 hour trip, whatever it was. And I went to the gym right when I got back. And I think I like deadlifting. You know what I mean? It was, I was so like, that's all I thought about. And I learned so much. I mean, I was at, a, there was a stage in my life where I counted calories and I had a scale and I was trying to do macronutrient ratios. And I, I don't do that anymore, but that period of my life helped me at least understand when I'm holding like a burger that I didn't cook in my hand about what am I doing to myself, right? It was super helpful. It was something where I then had, it just became part of what I did. And I think once it became part of what I did, maybe part of my identity, but it was like something I, if I, I can just keep this rolling, even if I'm not obsessed with it right so that's sort of the the baseline thing and then the other thing it did for me and this is this came from buying an actual program so before that i was like pulling things from youtube and then i bought an actual program from a strong man in maryland named brian allsru and that program was the hardest thing i've ever done in my entire life it was absurd and but i i learned what that battle was like where you have a hard workout and your mind is saying like you've done a lot of good work today. You could just go home. But then you're also saying, now nah, I should try to, I can finish this. I can keep going. I should try to finish it. Like it really helped instill basically more discipline in my life. Like I became a more disciplined person through that, which has reared its head in like every other facet and aspect of my life. So that's another reason I think fitness has stuck around is because it's functioned um, to develop me personally, not just like in terms of my health or my fitness or my strength or whatever, but also like I'm more disciplined in how I approach something like videography from what those lessons I learned. So those are that's like a two pronged approach. It started with I need to lose weight. I want to get a six pack. But then I kind of fell in love with getting stronger. And so it's just this it's been I'm sure yours is the same way. It's just this constantly evolving thing based on like what thing actually matters to me and what th other things could what I like to achieve, if that makes sense. So a six pack doesn't actually matter to me as much as like a 600 pound deadlift, right? And so you take some sacrifices here and there. And, and it's just like I said, it's kind of a constantly revolving thing. But to me, that's interesting 
to engage with. I know other people may not feel that way. And that's why we have coaches. I have to ask, I want to reflect on some of what you said, but what is your total? Like, what are the best squat bench and deadlift that you've done? <laughs> so my deadlift best is 525, I think. And my best bench is 365. That was like, a, you know, when you add the 25 pound plate on there. Uh, I think my best squat is like 425. Squat's giving me a lot of trouble. I'm getting better at it, but it's given me a lot of trouble over the years. De deadlift was the same way. It just had a period where I was like, I'm just going to like really focus on, you know, I, I pulled the weight back a little bit and did some of those like slow negatives on the way down to make sure my positioning, I, I just took the time to do that. And I haven't done that with squat yet. So that's kind of the next project, you know, box squats, pause squats, things like that to try to get it right. Impressive numbers regardless. Squat was also the hardest lift for me. I have long legs for my height. And I think that that affects my position in a back squat specifically because I have like more of a forward lean, which makes it a lot harder to get up out of the bottom. Right. Well, and also, also like foot, like that's taken me and I don't have a coach right now. Right. Because like I, I see an immense amount of value with coaches. It's just when we have certain amounts of time and resources, we allot them to the things that are in the big picture. Right. So a coach is something that I just haven't invested in that I probably should, but like feet position and how much your toes are done and like low bar, high bar. Like I've seen you post so much about different body types and like how you adjust for various things and how you maybe even um, adjust the, the exercise itself. Right. Just like how, you know, how to experiment with that is so much harder on your own because you don't know which variables you're trying to test against other ones. So that's, I think, why it's also taken so long, too, is I'm just having to slowly, like, you're like, I'm going to commit to doing it this way for, like, 12 weeks, and then I'm going to commit to another thing for 12 weeks, and then I'm going to see the difference. It's, like, six months to figure out one little tiny thing. So that's why it's taken so long, I feel like, too. Yeah, the details make such a difference. And for anyone who's listening that's not familiar, powerlifting isn't just going to the gym and lifting weights. It's a specific sport where you're competing in three specific lifts. So you're doing a back squat. So a, with the bar on your back, you're doing a barbell bench press and then you're doing a barbell deadlift from the floor so when i work with clients that aren't competing in powerlifting it actually is easier in a sense because i can find the exact variation that works for them so if someone's having a really hard time with a back squat well we're just not going to back squat right there's a bunch of other squats we could do but if you're someone who wants to really achieve in that sport you know you really have to figure out like what is the exact position the exact form and setup that's going to allow me with my body type and my strengths and weaknesses to execute at a high level so there's actually a lot of like thought and and work that goes into it definitely yeah it's just like the goal right like what's your goal is your goal to build your legs and to build functional strength within the squat or is your goal to learn the back squat because depending on what that goal is like you can build your legs in a billion different ways but there's only one way to get better at the back squat is to back squat and to figure it out so yeah i mean we'll talk about it in a second but that exact thing is like one of the major tenets like i pulled over into understanding how to practice it's like whatever the goal is like you got to know what that is first before you can start really selecting anything but i know we'll get there so i'm not trying to get ahead of myself <laughs> yeah we're definitely going to get there i just want to reflect that uh for anyone who hasn't listened to me talking about my origin story ryan's lifting origin story and mine are pretty similar like we both got to a point where we were like okay physically this isn't working i don't feel good and then we both discovered that we were super interested in it like i also was consuming hours and hours of video and written content i had a job at the music library which was a perfect job because i didn't have to do anything to be honest and so i would sit there at the desk and i would just be watching youtube videos and reading some of the guys from like elite fts i also was really into powerlifting at the start of my lifting career and i did do a meet actually my senior year at northwestern and it was just so fun to have something outside of music to work on, to focus on. And I like just moving heavy weights was really fun. And that's what, is why I liked powerlifting. And I, I think that it's pretty cool that someone else had a similar experience because I don't often hear that. I definitely want to hear more about how your fitness experience, your lifting experience has impacted you as a musician and as a teacher. I know you've done a lot of podcasts uh, expanding on how these ideas have impacted how you organize practice sessions and how you think about playing. And I just want to hear more about what do you think are like the biggest impacts or changes that you've seen in your, your trumpet playing as a result of your experiences in fitness? Yeah. So I made a method that I essentially stole. I, I took, I took at first block programming and I made it for musicians. Essentially that would be the simplest way to describe it. 
And so it's the gold method. And that is just, I sort of found an acronym. I actually don't even remember how I came up with it, but it's an acronym I came up that is your practice must be goal oriented. Your practice must have an optimal starting place. Your practice must have a logical progression and your practice should have a defined time frame. So the goal oriented is exactly what I just described, right? Like putting it in a fitness context and then back into a music context. Fitness context, like, do you want to build your legs or do you want to learn the back squat, right? Do you want to, you know, is it, are you like a, like, is it a bodybuilding focus where you're trying to get a pump and build muscle? Or is it like a sort of a total body calisthenics? Like you want to learn movement patterns that build function or whatever, like that goal will dictate the exercises you choose, the kind of weight you use, kind of rep schemes, how many sets, the way you structure your rest periods. Like it'll, it'll dictate all of that. Right. And so it's similarly in, in music, the goal you're trying to pursue something as big as do I want to play in a big band versus an orchestra versus a brass quintet versus a music teacher, or like a college professor or a band director, like any of those goals, how you structure your time, the things you pursue within that, whether it's in the practice session or not, will be greatly influenced. And just like in training, there's going to be a ton of overlap, right? Like CrossFit athletes do the deadlift and powerlifting athletes do the deadlift and bodybuilders do the deadlift, but they all do them in different ways. They appropriate that exercise for their own specific goals. So musicians, you may have a similar set of exercises that you choose to, to appropriate in different ways, depending on which direction you're trying to go in. And then I know you would agree with this too. Beyond that, there's also sort of like a defined set of like fundamental or foundational principles that like are going to apply no matter what. Like there's sports specific things and then there's just good, healthy, like I have, you know, good mobility, good flexibility, general strength, all that. Same thing in in, in um, music. You know, you have my pieces of music you're going to play, but there's also your just general fundamentals that you are trying to build. And those might be built in similar ways across the board. The O, the optimal starting place. I this this like changed my this working out changed my understanding of this is because as musicians, what we do when we practice is essentially the same as right now. I can bench 225 pounds. My goal is to bench 315 pounds. And so musicians will say, well, then what I should do is load 315 pounds on the bar and just keep trying until I get it. Like somehow magically, it's just gonna happen, right? And when you put it in, like when I explain it that way to musicians, they're like, that's dumb, right? Because in the in fitness, we all understand there's risk of injury. Also, like there's no way you're going to build good form. There's no way that you're really ever going to be successful at any point. Like that's not the most, maybe hypothetically speaking, maybe it could work, but it's certainly not the most efficient or effective way to go about doing it. And so the optimal starting place is, well, if I want to build a 315 and I can only do one rep at 225, maybe you start with a five by five at, you know, 155, 175, somewhere around there. And then you gradually progress, which is the next step. But you find a spot where you can essentially do what you want to be able to do just at a lighter weight, right? So with the form that you want to be able to do it with the amount of consistency or success, you, you find some place where you can start there. And then the L is logical progression. Then you design something that gets you to where you want to go in some sort of logical way that you can say, this makes sense. I can follow that versus if you don't have a logical progression, you're just just like throwing pain at the wall, right? One day you come in and you're like, I'm going to do this weight for this much. And another day I'm going to do this weight for this much, but it's impossible to track. Maybe at the beginning, beginners can almost do anything and progress. But once you are, you know, three, four years in, it stops, right? You have to be somewhat methodical about how you go. If you want, if you want to see progress as your goal, if you just want to get in a good workout, like CrossFit, I think is great for that CrossFit. They have these workouts of the day. You go in, you work hard, you get a good workout, good cardiovascular fitness, plus some strength training, but it's not nearly as structured in terms of the organization as like powerlifting is. I think that's why I really came to powerlifting and, and what I brought it over with. So yeah, in music, it's like, here's this piece of music and I can't play it. So, all right, well, I'm going to break down this piece into various sections and I'm going to figure out, well, where do I want to be? But then also, where do I need to start so that I can already have really good habits? Maybe not 100% of the time, but a high percentage of the time. So I'm essentially, these habits are like stacking on top of each other. The more I'm doing the exercise, the better I'm getting at ex executing the skill that I want. And then, yeah, the logical progression is like, I mean, there's all sorts of ways. It's like numbers. I don't want to get into it unless you really want to get into it. But 
it's the same deal. It's like this week is going to be at half tempo. The next week at 60%, the next week at 70%, especially if you have a number at the end, right? That's how generally block programming can be done. And then the defined time frame is how long are you going to pursue this thing before you decide if you are successful or not? So block programming is, I've seen 12 usually, but I know it can be like 16 or maybe even more. But like the longer you go, where you're committed to one thing, unless you are absolutely convinced this is the best thing you could possibly do. Having like a 12 week program allows you to check in and make adjustments as necessary based on what strengths got better, what weaknesses still might exist. So same thing with music. So my fundamental, I have a fundamentals routine that's a month long and I play the same exercises with the gradually progressing, whatever for a month. And then after that, I'm like, well, did I make progress? cool. What things would I change up to, to make it a little bit harder for me next month? Stuff like that. Right. And pieces of music are a little bit different. I'm now I've settled on right now, learning pieces of music in two week cycles. So I have these cycles that are like two weeks long, gets you from beginning like the starting tempo to the goal tempo in two weeks. And then I just repeat those cycles. Cause then I have the information that I got at the end of the first cycle at the beginning of the second cycle. So I can make it way more, you know, does that make sense? Like I can be so much more intentional about the second cycle because of what I learned. It's almost like I'm willing to not learn everything so I can make the second one even more impactful. And I think as you repeat cycles in the gym, you sort of, okay, this is the squat form I'm going to roll with. And then you get to the end and you record yourself and you're like, okay, well, I see that I got stronger, but I can see I still have this weakness. I'm going to do another block program. I'm going to go back to the beginning with relatively lightweight, but now have some more specific ideas of what I'm trying to get out of it, that kind of idea. So in a very basic sense, like block programming is where I started with this. And I've certainly learned how to bring it to music a little bit more effectively because in music, there's also this like esoteric musical component that you can't like structure, right? And so I think that's been a big criticism of this method is, yes, some things will be great if you just move them in like a methodical way. But music making isn't, that's not music. Music making isn't working out, right? Barbara Butler kind of challenged me on that. She's like, music is this whole other different, it's an art form, which I'm sure you could argue powerlifting, bodybuilding, stuff like that could be an art form. But like the way you structure powerlifting to be ready for that meat it is like almost pure skill development, right? And like music is skill development. And then this thing on top where you like connect it to your soul. And that's the part that took me a lot longer to figure out how do you structure time for someone to connect to their soul and also develop the skill necessary to do it consistently. So that's been, maybe that's an answer to your question. It's, I feel like I'm just sort of all over the place because it's, it's all just floating around, right? It's like hard to sort of condense it, but hopefully that is close to what you were looking for. Yeah, it's so interesting. A lot of times, so when I think about myself, I'll just use myself as an example, most of the effects that I got as a musician from training were more like I had more energy, like I didn't, my back didn't hurt, uh, I felt more confident. And I love to hear this whole mental side, because actually, as I've gotten longer into my training career, I think that that's actually one of the most underrated benefits of training in relation to music is learning how to build skills and build more structure into your routine. I mean, I had great, fabulous teaching in my music career, but I really never was educated that much on how to actually structure practice. And as someone who's naturally like a little bit distracted, disorganized, I think that having a system like your teaching actually probably would have helped me significantly. It would have given me more obvious benchmarks for, like you said, certain types of things making sure that I could play an excerpt at the right tempo in tune, you know, with good sound and all of that stuff. And a lot of times in the practice session, I was just like, am I, is, am I doing the right thing? Like, is what I'm doing even working? Like, I have no idea. And so I do think that having a structure like that, at least for certain parts of your playing is really helpful. And I mean, with, with fitness, like you said, if you just want to move your body and have a good workout, you can sort of do whatever you want and it's totally fine. But if you have any goals at all, whether it's something as specific as competing in a powerlifting meet, or even if you just want to get stronger, like after you have been training for some time, you need a structured approach in order to see progress. And music is the same way when you're in high school, middle school, whenever you started playing, like all practice probably makes you better. All performances are, are helpful, but at a certain point in order to see improvements in your playing, like you have to get more 
specific and more focused. And so I really appreciate hearing the carryover and the fact that you put it into like an actual method with, with real structure that people can use. I think that's really cool. I want to know, so since you're so into powerlifting specifically and lifting heavy things, doing strongman, I wonder if you've ever experienced pushback when you share it with people, the idea that musicians maybe shouldn't be lifting heavy weights because it's dangerous or that it might impact your playing. This is something maybe I don't hear as much with brass players, but with string players and, and wind players who need a lot of like fine motor control in their hands. I think a lot of people are worried that, uh, I mean, trumpet players do as well, of course, but people are worried that it's going to negatively affect their playing somehow if they do a lot of this heavy lifting and heavy strength training. I'm curious if you have heard that at all and what your thoughts are on that. Sure. Of course. I used to train with Hillary Tidman and Hillary is a flute player and she was deadlifting heavy and she was squatting heavy. I mean, it, it was pretty awesome to watch cause she was willing, you know, she just worked as hard or harder than I did. You know what I mean? It wasn't like, well, I'm a flute player. I have to treat it any differently. She was like, we're going to go in there and we're going to get some work done. And I mean, I don't have an answer, right? I don't have an answer for someone who's convinced themselves that like, I can't do this because like my fingers, this, or my fingers, that I, I see it as like, I know a lot of woodwind player. I okay. That's an overstatement. I know some woodwind players who have like, like forearm issues, right? Like they use their fingers so much and like the extensors of their forearms bother them. They get injuries. Like you've talked about, uh, my wife is getting certified right now to teach Pilates actually. And so that has been a really big help for her, um, in terms of like strengthening her core and developing more mobility and just raising body awareness. Right. But she used to have all sorts of back problems and all sorts of like sort of tension and neck problems. And you see musicians who have to have like some sort of pad that they sit on or some sort of pad for their back, or there's also like musicians have all of these issues with their bodies all the time. I was fortunate to not really have issues with that. And so like that, part of it didn't really that didn't really enter into my space because it wasn't a reason why I was considering it but I'll say like I sit with better posture I understand better posture for me like I don't get lower back pain when I sit for a while you know and it's like it's so funny my I'll talk to my wife and we'll talk and she'll say she has like this lower back pain and I'll always say well do you know what could help with that and she's like what I'm like deadlifting you know and I've said it enough times now that she knows that's the thing I'm going to say and she, I don't think she's against it. It's like a time constraint. Like uh, there's many different things I want to do, but I think for a lot of people, they see something like deadlifting and they're like, oh no, like that can't be for me. It's going to hurt my fingers. It's going to hurt my back. And it's like, in my opinion, it's the exact opposite. Like the point of doing it is a, you find a weight that's not going to destroy your back, right? You find some place to start where, you, and if it's not with the barbell, I've seen you like a huge part of what it seems like you're trying to share is ways to essentially adjust or like de de progress or whatever the word is for that where it's like if i can't do a barbell deadlift from the ground here are options you can do that are possible to work you up to doing that and so i think it's the opposite i think people who are experiencing low back pain if you musicians and stuff like that things like deadlifting is what they should be doing kettlebell swings you know romanian deadlifts like I think that kind of stuff strengthens those muscles. And then if you build the muscle to have a higher threshold, those things that used to bother you don't bother you nearly as much anymore. And so I can understand the worry of it, but I have, I've never ever had it. I mean, one time maybe I'll like, you know, smash my finger between two plates, but that's like not the lift. That's me, right? Like that's just me being, you know, careless or something like that or whatever. I just don't personally, after everything I've been through, um, I have, I've had injuries and none of them have been to my hands, you know what I mean? Or something like that. So I can understand the reticence to do it, but I don't think it's something that's nearly as much of a problem as the perception can be. Yeah, I obviously agree, of course. And I love what you said. I mean, the idea of training is to become stronger, more resilient. Like you're not going to improve the capacity of your, your core muscles or your back or arms or whatever to handle like more work by doing nothing. I mean, you can build a certain amount of endurance, sure, through playing and practicing, but if you're only in those certain positions, that's not also not gonna make you feel very good. So expanding what you can do with your body, exposing it to stress in a healthy way, and then recovering actually allows you to take on more in the future. Yeah, so let's say, for example, I think one way that training has helped me is certainly raise a level of body awareness, right? So I think even something as simple as when you are learning how to row properly, 
like one of the things you learn how to do is retract your scapula, right? Or doing pull-ups or deadlifts or even bench press, obviously, as you know, you're trying to get everything set. And so that motion is sort of like pulling things back, which like for me will open up the chest, which is like all of a sudden I can breathe better and I'm going to make a better sound. But bringing awareness to that means when I'm sitting in my chair, I can think about that, right? And so I, I can not only does training help because I'm in the gym moving my body and strengthening it, but it raises awareness of ways to adjust outside of the gym. Because if I'm constantly sitting with terrible posture for this 15 hours of the day or however long I'm up, and then I'm working out in the gym for one hour a day, my body is still going to do the th the sort of the quote negative thing, if you want to call it that. So I think even something as simple as I'm working out to gain better body awareness so that throughout my day, I'm walking properly. I don't have like issues because I'm like, what is that anterior pelvic tilt or whatever, where you like, it can cause low back pain for extended periods of walking or running, or I'm sitting with my shoulders rounded. And another way that I've tried to describe kind of bad habits and good habits with students is this came from a book. I forget what it was called. A, a, a cellist in the orchestra who used to be here shared it with me. But the idea that like if I sit with terrible posture and I'm used to that, that feels comfortable. And then when someone pushes me up into proper posture, it's uncomfortable. But we know that like over the course of time, that proper posture is probably what's right. That's what we should be doing. And so even like the idea of I'm doing something that's uncomfortable versus comfortable isn't necessarily the the way the litmus test of like this is right or this is wrong. And I think like seeing it that way has helped me describe to some musicians like you may be doing something that feels comfortable, but it's going to be limiting to you in the long run. So you're going to have to embrace some amount of discomfort to get you back on the path of what Barbara would call healthy trumpet playing and fitness. This would just be proper body usage so that you can experience a lot of longevity, whether you grow to a 600 pound deadlift or not, that will allow you, I think, to have a healthier quality of life for longer in your life. So age becomes less of a number, right? Yeah, so much good stuff there. I think that you made a really important point. One benefit that I see of strength training in particular for musicians is getting more comfortable with this idea that some level of discomfort is not necessarily a bad thing in the service of growth. So even if you go to physical therapy, uh, the people that succeed in physical therapy with an injury are those that are willing to do the drills, which oftentimes are uncomfortable. Like even at a really foundational level of repairing function, like you have to have some level of stress and discomfort in order to grow. And so the fact that something feels comfortable just because you've done it forever, and then some new thing that might be helpful to you is uncomfortable doesn't necessarily mean that, that that's bad or that you should be afraid of that. And so I think that when you go to the gym and you push yourself and you feel what it's like to challenge your body in that way and understand, okay, like I'm not doing damage. In fact, I'm actually getting better and understanding kind of where those lines are, I think is really helpful. And I really love what you said about body awareness. Cause for me personally, that was a huge benefit of training. Like I felt before I started lifting, like I lived in a head that was disconnected from my body in a lot of ways. And I probably could not have even, like if you told me like move from the hips or something like that, I would not have even known how to do it. And so when you train and you internalize the right kind of cues and as a side note that's a big part of working with a coach is that a coach helps you find the cues that make sense so you can connect to your body in the right way but when you start to build that awareness like once you have it it doesn't really go away and you can absolutely use that when you're practicing especially if you are sitting poorly or have some sort of physical issue like if you understand how to manipulate different parts of your body like you can use that in service of your playing so that's definitely a huge benefit of doing physical training because like most people are not even if you're born with that, let me say, if you just sit and play your instrument and sit at a computer and sit on your phone all day, like you're, you're going to lose some of that. So training is a really good way to reconnect with it and bring it into your playing. Yeah, I love that. So when I work with people, one of the biggest issues that I come across is like time management, organization, and how that applies to fitness is like a lot of musicians are so busy and they have such varied careers that they struggle to make time for fitness, even if they buy into it and they understand that it's important. And so obviously you've been training for some time. And uh, as you mentioned in the intro, you're doing a lot of different things. You're playing an orchestra, you have a family. And I would just love to hear how you manage your time so that you can work out. And if you have any advice for other people who are struggling, other musicians who want to work out more, but haven't been able to make it work. Uh, sure. I'll give them my best shot. I think 
understanding programming is the first step, right? Understanding basic tenets of programming so that you have a level of confidence or a level of independence, or again, working with a coach would be the best solution to that. Cause a coach can hear everything you're going through. And then the coach can say, okay, what do you want to accomplish? And then can either say, okay, this is how we're going to do it. Or I think even more importantly, the coach will say to you, all the constraints you gave me and then the goal you said you wanted to achieve, those things don't line up. So either we have to adjust the goal or we have to figure out how we can spend a little bit more effort to do it, right? If you say I have 15 minutes two times a week and I want to set like a world record in the, you know what I mean? Like that's an extreme example, but it's like, well, we have to adjust our expectations. So first for me is like understanding what is what is like at its core necessary to me or essential to me, right? So spending any amount of time in the gym is probably better than none. And so even if I can't get the most perfect workout in or I can't, you know, I'm, I'm like, okay, well, I can't, I don't have time to do like my 10 sets of whatever. So I'm going to do my three sets of whatever. Maybe I'll even increase the weight slightly. So I've worked heavy. You know, I understand how to make some of those adjustments. So that kind of thing about programming allows me to do that. Two, I think understanding, do I have, do I have a couple of busy days or am I busy every day? Right. So you could, that will help you adjust. Well, do I have time four times a week? Do I have time three times? If you have time three times a week, three full body workouts is the way to go. If you have four days a week, upper, lower, upper, lower is the way to go. If you have five or six, but you don't have a lot of time, do uh, basically push, pull legs, push, pull legs or push, pull legs, and then upper, lower, just keep the rest periods low. And you're just going to sacrifice in the short term, the amount of strength that you can output because of the lower rest periods, right? Something as simple as that. I like have some of that knowledge and it takes time to gain this knowledge, but it really gives me a level of like confidence that I understand how to manage various busy seasons in my life. Also, I have a gym in my garage, so I just have to go downstairs, right? And so that's another part of it. When I got, when I had kids, I just, I, for me to disappear for like two hours was like less awesome than I could just go downstairs. And if I needed to be available, I could, I would just stop my workout and go do the thing, right? And then I would come back. So that was kind of, if you're willing to make monetary sacrifices in that capacity, um, it's just about sacrifices. What things are you willing to sacrifice for which particular goals are most important to you? And if your fitness goals are not at the top of the list, then you just got to find some way that's going to allow you to move, feel like you're doing good things with your body. And like, I have like low key goals. Like again, I, I've deadlifted 525. I'd love to do 600, but I know in my heart, I'm not able to do what it takes to see that goal this year. So I'm like, well, maybe I'll see that goal in three years from now if I'm able to just put a little bit of time, you know, like adjusting the length of time you think something will take. All of that being said, it's cool to me that we're having this conversation right now because over the holidays and in January and in most of February, I didn't work out. And it's because I got so busy with various other projects and my wife was also incredibly busy. So I basically was like, I have to drop something so that I have time to do a little bit more time to have some flexibility with kids or with this or with that, right? That's the big thing though, is who's going to drive the kids, who's going to pick them up, who's going to help them with practicing, who's going to help them with homework. And um, Kathleen's in a position where she can't really break. She can't really budge right now. And so working out was the thing that got dropped. And so I lowered my overall calorie intake to help sort of manage that. I was comfortable with that. And I just didn't work out for like three months, you know? And like, that's by far the longest period of time I've taken before. That was like five weeks. And this week is the first week I've been back. So I've done five workouts. The first one was a, it was push pole legs. And I was pretty sore. It's pretty sore. <laughs> like I even know that I need to like manage my expectations about coming back. So I was doing relatively lightweight. I still wanted to feel like I was doing something, but I wasn't, you know, I was keeping the reps manageable. I was still pretty sore. And then, uh, yes, or two days ago, I did a deck of cards workout. Right. And I did just, I was like, I'll do body weight rows, assisted pull-ups, push-ups. And then I have a 95 pound log for overhead press. I was just, this will be, this will be simple. 
And then I just, I, I was like, I'm not going to quit until I get it done. I'll take as much rest. So it took me an hour to get through the whole deck. And I can't, I'm so sore today. It's unbelievable. Yeah. For anyone who doesn't know, I actually do these with my clients sometimes. You, you ha They're super fun. You have a deck of cards and basically you have four exercises as Ryan explained and each number or suit on the card, or sorry, each suit corresponds to an exercise and then the number or the face value tells you how many reps. So depending on how you number it, you're doing over 90 reps per exercise over the course of the workout. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, you might have a set of two or three reps and then depending on how the cards play out, you might have like 35 reps in a yeah. row. I've had sometimes you never know what you're gonna get yeah with overhead press on this particular workout i would like i like overturned a king which is 10 i was like okay no problem and i came back and then i overturned to 10 and i was like okay i made it through but it was tough and then like i overturned like a nine of the same thing i was like i was like yelling you have got to be kidding me you know so and I, that was mental toughness more than anything like I was sort of not able to do my pull-ups at the end and like the, i was just really struggling but i was i i don't know for me training Part of getting back into shape with training is getting my mind back into shape. You you had mentioned earlier sort of the benefit of the discomfort. And one of my favorite quotes is in the intro of the Barbell Logic podcast, where I say we talk about the benefits of voluntary hardship. And I love that way of talking about it because that's what it is. You are voluntarily stepping into something that will be hard. You get to determine how hard it is, but you also get the benefit of however hard it was you completing that. It changes you. And so you could be... I feel like you have a fairly balanced approach. I don't see you saying like you you don't have to do anything. You're clearly like there will be effort involved, but you also have a balanced approach of sometimes you just got to get in there and do something. And then you have like the David Goggins of the world, which is like you should just absolutely annihilate yourself to prove to yourself you can do it. And so I land somewhere in there. I'm not certainly David Goggins, but I do I do try to put things in there that are just hard for the sake of being hard because I want to strengthen my mind in that regard. So that I, I basically think it's two answers I tried to give in one. One of them is like programming or a coach will help you understand how to take your goals and your schedule and make it work. And then all you have to do from there is do it. And that can be the hard thing sometimes. And so figuring out how to remove any barriers that exist, right? Like if going to work, like see if you can bring a gym bag to work so you can change, go straight to the gym instead of going home. Cause once you're home and you sit down on the couch with like something, it's like, maybe I don't really feel like going. And sometimes whether you feel like it or not, you just got to do it right. That's just a reality of life. But then also sometimes there are seasons of life where like, it's not going to be much. It might be two times a week or one or zero times a week for a period of time. And like, that's just because you have other things in your life that you care about as a person and that's the thing that gave. And then you just have to, at some point, make a deal with yourself that you're going to get back to it because it is something that's important. It's just, it couldn't be something had to give. I just think, I believe in that very deeply that all of our life is like you're sacrificing things in terms of your time based on whatever your particular goals are. Yeah, again, so much good in that answer. I think of it as I call it trade offs. But yeah, sacrifice is the same too. Like, there's absolutely a trade off if you don't exercise because you're not going to be mentally and physically as well as you could be. Uh, but then at you're right at a certain time, you may have to make a trade off that you're not going to be able to exercise as consistently as you want. This is something that a lot of my clients that are musicians experience over the holidays. Now, everyone's busy over the holidays, but musicians are like, especially busy with with gigs, I feel like. And managing expectations of what's possible, whether that's a complete break, like you had to do or just cutting it back to maybe one or two workouts or really short workouts a week is going to make all the difference in being consistent. And you're right. I think a lot of people just don't understand how to structure training to work in different circumstances. And like, why would you? I mean, you're not a fitness coach, right? And so much of the information that we get online is not particularly helpful because a lot of it is kind of all or nothing. And we think that if we're not doing all of the things and training super hard all the time that we might as well not even bother. So having the experience like you do or having a coach to guide you through that can really make a difference. And I really love that you have a home gym too. I, I know I've seen it on Instagram. It looks like a pretty cool setup, but I really think that for musicians, like a home gym is a really great answer to be honest, because a lot of us practice at home or you're, it's just much easier to do it at home. So 
Now, I, I do have some clients that find they're not super motivated and they actually prefer to go to a gym. So if that's you, by all means. I mean, I love going to a gym, but I also have stuff at home and a lot of my clients work out at home. So I think that if you can do that, and like Ryan said, just remove barriers, like it's one less place to go, one less thing to think about, you're just a lot more likely to get it done. Yeah, I miss I miss the environment. I do. Like I miss seeing other people. I was at the gym long enough and I would see the same people and I would when I was first starting out, I would actually go up to some people every once in a while and like just ask them questions. They were strong or maybe they were at a level of fitness that I was aspiring to and I would ask them questions. Um but, you know, at home it it is harder. And that's why I also think structure is even more important because the structure is the thing pushing you, not yourself, right? Essentially to me, if you are someone who's like, I just need to, I just want to be fit. Like for me, my goal is to get like stronger at certain lifts. And so that carries like, I'm okay with putting that goal on hold for a period of time. I'm fine with that. I'm not, I'm, I'm in this for, I want to be, I want to be deadlifting 500 when I'm 50. Like I'm not in any hurry. Right. But if someone's like, well, my goals are just to move my goals or whatever, you could get like, you know, a kettlebell, some some bands. I've seen you talk about this all the time. A kettlebell, some bands, maybe a jump rope, a pull-up bar. You're good to go, you know? And so you don't need a lot of equipment. You don't have to invest. I've invested, I'd say probably five grand maybe on all the equipment because weights can be, you know, like actual weights themselves can get expensive depending on how many you have. But you don't need, you don't necessarily need all of that if the goal is movement and just, you know, getting, you know, breathing a little bit cardiovascular health and you just want to, strengthen. I would also say what you what you talked about with with a coach helping out. Getting a coach is also a trade-off, right? I'm trading my financial resources for the time it would take me to learn that on my own. Which for some people, time is not a resource that they have to give. And so you're going to have to spend some resources, time or money. And so I think there's a lot of value in the concept of I'm going to work with a coach for a set period of time, a year, two years for the express purpose of learning enough that I can do it on my own, right? So you're saying I'm going to invest in myself and 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 do that for this short period of time so that I have the confidence. And I, that's going to affect how what kinds of questions you ask. It's going to affect the way you go about doing things because you're going to say, I'm going to try to pull every ounce of information I can out of this person versus I'll just do what they tell me to do. And so I think there's a lot of value in a concept like that. I'm going to sort of speed up my learning at the beginning so that I know that I have the confidence of I can adjust to any life circumstances that come my way. Yeah, so true. And a quality coach is going to help with that. I have shared on the podcast before this idea of self-determination theory, which is like, how do we become more motivated to do something? How do we shift to more intrinsic motivation? And, and the three parts are autonomy, competence, and relatedness. So when you work with a coach or you want to figure out how to do something more on your own those those two first parts are really important like you want someone who's going to allow you to be more autonomous and do things ultimately on your own so you don't want a coach that just tells you what to do i mean some people like that i'll just say that but you want someone who's who's teaching you explaining you the things you need to know and then confidence like you want to actually be getting better at stuff so that you can do it on your own and also just because the practice of learning and getting better at things is rewarding and is motivating in and of itself and so when you're working with a coach if you can try to actually learn things and figure out how to do stuff on your own like you're going to be so much better off in the long run even if you don't work with the coach long term which some people choose to do for other reasons but it's a much better attitude actually to go into that relationship with sort of the idea that you're going to learn and grow to do things on your own so I, I like that you said that a lot it's something that i think a lot of people miss they think i'm just going to hire a coach and the coach is going to solve all my problems and just tell me what to do. And that maybe in the short term that works, but in the long term, you don't actually get any better from that. And then when you can't work with the coach anymore for whatever reason, like then what are you doing? So approaching it from that um, attitude is really, really helpful. So I want to shift gears just a little bit. So something you've talked about on your, your podcast is how you made the shift partially through your experience in Indianapolis and then through other things as well from like really hyper identifying with your success um, or failures or whatever as a trumpet player and having that affect your sense of self-worth or your mental health. So I think that a lot of people, so this is a you know fitness podcast, but I also like to take a holistic health approach for musicians because I recognize that when I was in the music world, like one of the things that really held me back was not just that I was out of shape, uh, but that I had a lot of like 
performance anxiety and mental health issues and things. And I don't think that enough professionals are talking about this. And so I love that you share about it on your podcast. And I would just love to hear like how you started to make that shift from, again, over identifying with your job or what you were doing as a trumpet player and how you started to like regain a sense of self that was kind of separate from your instrument. Mm. That's a big question. Uh, it's all spiritual for me. Um, I, I, at this stage, all of that is dictated by my faith, but when I was coming into it, there was a number of different, I guess, resources or books that sort of started pointing me in a certain direction. I got into like the power of now and mindfulness for a little while, but essentially what happened was I didn't get tenure in Indianapolis. And I asked the question, who am I if I'm not principal trumpet in whatever orchestra? Because in my mind, that's like what defined me. I I was now this thing. And, you know, you just wrestle with it for a while. And like I said, I started watching some some videos of like Eckhart Tolle. I think that's how I can't ever remember how to say his last name. And then Anthony DeMello is another resource that I listened to. And like I said, those just sort of like it was just a it was just people were speaking differently. You know, I had never had I grew up Christian but I never really understood, like I grew up going to the church and, but I never really like understood the why behind it. I understood what all these things say, but I didn't understand like my, how I was supposed to interact with these things. And I feel like, yeah, that Anthony DeMello and, and, and the power of now and stuff like that even introduced the idea that there's a separate me and a separate I, right. That there's the me I'm from Nebraska. I play the trumpet. I'm married. I live in Alabama, but those things aren't like me at my core, like my soul, so to speak. There is like a thing underneath all of that. And so I think even just awareness that that exists and asking the question, is there a difference between the two is like enough to get it started, right? Like, I feel like maybe people, like I wasn't aware of it. And so maybe other people are similar that when you're not even aware that there is a difference, you're just walking through life thinking all of these things define you and so for us musicians when we spend all of our time and efforts in the practice room and in ensembles and surrounded by musicians our perspective is so limited and we, we like even like that i mean to take a set to take a sidestep that's even a value of the gym is you're now relating to people who don't do that one thing that you do and you start to see yourself as I am someone who goes to the gym. And like, once you kind of see you can break out of this one, this sort of singular way of seeing yourself, even with a second thing, I feel like that helps begin to ask the question like, well, what things am I doing that I'm doing because I feel like I have to? And what things am I doing because I feel like this is what I want to be doing with my life? And I'm not a believer. I know everyone comes at a different different spot. I'm not a hundred percent believer that we are just like masters of our own destiny, right? Like we get to choose everything that happens because I believe in God and I believe God has a say in a lot of that. But I do believe that we can orient our lives in a direction and begin to do work that reflects where we would like to be. And over the course of time, we sort of settle into where things should be. I feel like, you know, you and I would be evidence of that thing. Like I am not at the job that I would have chosen if you would have said, where do you want to be? But I'm here and I, my life is all the better for it. I met my wife here. I now have a family. I've got a great house. You know what I mean? Like there's so much about my life that I would have missed out on if I would have said, this is what I have to have. Same thing with things like videography. Like that came about during the pandemic. I wouldn't have like chosen a pandemic to be the thing that gave me time to learn how to do this. And obviously there was so much negative that came from the pandemic but I would imagine some people feel like there's some potential positives that came from like a total halt of life. And then asking the questions, well, like, what do I do? Where, like, what, what am I if I'm not doing this thing that I'm always used to doing? So I think anything that shakes things up like that, for me, it was not getting tenure. For some people, maybe would have been a breakup with somebody or uh, other things could be just not achieving a particular thing you set your heart to do, like getting into a grad school or winning a particular job, or, you know, I want to move to the city and make it big, but it's not happening a year later or something. I feel like any of those things that shake a, shake up our everyday life uh, are opportunities to then be sort of to reflect on, well, am I even doing the thing I want to be doing? And like, who is, who told me that I have to do this, right? Like, who told me that I have to play the trumpet? Was it me? Did I feel like I was pressured into doing it by other people? Like it can be painful to unpack a lot of that. And I've done a lot of crying, you know what I mean? 
been a lot of crying unpacking some of the stuff and figuring out some of my issues. So I'm not trying to pretend that it's a pleasant process, but I think it's given me freedom to do that. The freedom of knowing like the trumpet is just one of the things that I do. And I try to do it at the best level that I can, because that's just the kind of person I want to be. I, w- I feel I deserve to get as strong as I possibly can in the circumstances that are available to me. Am I going to get as strong as like Brian Shaw? Probably not. But that's because his life circumstances are different. Is he going to get as good at the trumpet as I am? Probably not, right? And I want to be the best videographer. I want to be the best, you know, dad, husband, stuff like that. And I think it's just when you see it as I just do these things and I'm just kind of each and every day trying to do the best things I can with what's in front of me. There's a lot of freedom in that. And there's also a lot of, I'm not necessarily identifying so hard with any one thing that I have to be. Hopefully that's an answer to the question. It's so big, you know? Yeah, it's something I've been thinking about a lot. I mean, over the last few years, actually, it's funny, I just recorded my solo podcast that's going to go this week. I guess so if anyone's listening, it's the week before you're going to be listening to this. But I I shared really for the first time, like my own experience of deciding to leave music and then also kind of coming back into it in a, in a different capacity as a coach who works with musicians and then as someone who likes to go just to concerts and just be a fan instead of having to be on stage. And I wonder, like, I'm not asking you, but just like hypothetically wondering, you know, I wonder if it's even possible to come to these realizations when we're younger, or if some of it just comes with life experience, mm. because part of me, I wish that I understood this when I was younger, but I'm like, is that even possible? Like 18, 19 years old? I don't even really know. Yeah. yeah I, I, when I first started posting stuff on social media, I would even say this out loud. It wasn't like a hidden thing, but it was almost as if I was trying to create resources that an 18 year old version of myself could listen to and like benefit from as if I would somehow shift the course of my life in a different direction. And, you know, I think it's very valuable. I think it's so valuable because I've obviously as someone who has tried to do this thing on my own podcast and in other capacities, I think it's very valuable to share and to try to talk about our own personal experience in ways that people might be able to connect with. But I think it's far more, I think it's to take the posture that like, I want to save somebody from something difficult is less valuable to me now than trying to be a person who's willing to be there with them when they're going through it. And so maybe somebody hears some words that you've said, or I've said, and they feel like they've connected to those words and they reach out. And then it's like, okay, now we can have an actual like relationship trying to get outside of, because social media does this, in my opinion, trying to get outside of, I'm just saying words to, to develop this level of clout or, or trust with people and to try to actually use it as a way of, I'm sharing this thing that I might be able to actually connect with a real human being who's going through something, you know, maybe you connect with someone as a client and you're able to help them, or maybe you just connect with them as like, they say, these words really help me. And that's meaningful to hear. But I think it used to be, I want to like help fix these problems. I want to save people from something, but I know I am the person I am because of what I went through. And so why would I rob somebody of the chance to become their full potential by just trying to say, well, you shouldn't have to go through what I went through. It's like, we all go through what we go through. And I think it's more valuable to have people who are able to be there with us and to grieve with us or to celebrate with us than it is to have someone say, I'm going to rob you from your full potential by saying you, I don't want you to feel whatever pain, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's a very valid point. I think too, at least for me, there's an element of like to get a little woo-woo, but I think you're probably game for it. You're like helping your your like old inner child or your former self in a sense too. So even if you're not helping, saving, quote unquote, somebody in the same experience, maybe you're being the person that you needed when you were younger, that that person just wasn't there for you in, in whatever context. I think that's really valuable too. And yeah, I mean, I think I wonder sometimes like if I hadn't gone through what I went through and, and quit music, you know, would I be playing now? But like, it, you know, I so many things have happened in my life that are so valuable because of the experiences that I went through. And like, I don't really have any regrets about any of it and going back and changing it. So I think just reflecting on it and being of service based on the lessons that you've learned, I think is really valuable. And I really admire that about you because you're playing in an orchestra, right? So you, you're living like the dream job, quote unquote, even if you're not whatever in the New York Phil, whatever you said earlier, but, and the fact that you're still doing work online and you're you're helping people work through their issues and you're, you're coaching and teaching and, and learning new skills and exploring your interests, I think is really cool to see that you're able to like have, I guess a more full life for lack of a better saying it, where like not everything you're doing is all about 
the orchestra, even though I'm sure you love to be in the orchestra, like you have other interests and you're able to to explore that as well. So that's really cool and inspiring to see. Um, I think that's probably a good place to wrap it up. We've been talking about an hour. So I want to really thank you for for coming on the show. Like I said, it's pretty cool to talk to someone who's done so well in professional music and also is such a accomplished lifter. I mean, maybe you would say you're not that accomplished, but I highly doubt there's many <laughs> professional musicians out there who are deadlifting over 500 pounds. And you speak so eloquently about the interaction between training and practice. And I think that that's a really important message. And like I said, if I had had a more structured approach to practice, I think it probably would have helped me a lot <laughs> when I was younger. So definitely really valuable work that you're doing. Just before we wrap up, if there's anything else that I didn't ask you about that you want to say, any last messages? And then also, you know, where can people connect with you? Where would you like to direct people to find more about you and your work? I think as an open-ended statement, there's not there's not necessarily a lot more that um, I could say. Uh, I'm grateful that you had me on. I care very deeply about these things, talking about these things. So I'm always appreciative of the opportunity to come on and to get to know you, you know, I, I, it's, it's awesome for me because, you know, I never spent a lot of time hanging out with you at Northwestern, you know, obviously I know who you were, but, and we weren't even that far removed, but we were like enough removed. It's funny. Yeah. When you, when you're an adult, you're like, Oh, you're that person's like two years older than me. That's like nothing. Right. But when you're in school, yeah. it feels like a huge sure, gap. Yeah. And so it's great. I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to hear you talk and to learn from you and, I did. I, I was able to listen to, I mean, I mostly listen to podcasts when I train. So for the last three months, I haven't really listened to anything, but you know, your episodes are great. I think it's, it's great to, that you're at the, at the beginning, you're like laying out some of these like foundational things. I'm sure you talk to a lot of people about, and then being able to use that as like a jumping off point to be able to have sort of more complex and deep conversations. I think these conversations about identity are uh, important, but they're very difficult to have because it's all so personal, but the idea of just of, of raising awareness that like the things that we do in our life aren't necessarily the things that should or could define us is a very valuable thing, but it took me a long time to kind of work through that. So it's not a quick thing. So uh, yeah, these things are, are, are very important to me and I'm grateful for the opportunity to talk about them. If anybody wants to get in touch with me, if you listening want to do that and to say anything, I would love to hear from you. I love, as I was saying, I love connecting with others and, just kind of learning from anyone I can. Uh, RyanBeachTrumpet.com. There's a contact page there. Also, Ryan Beach Trumpet on Instagram. Send me a DM. And then there's I have a YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Ryan Beach Trumpet. So any of those places are the best places to find me. And um, as I said, I would enjoy the opportunity to connect with anyone who's interested. Awesome. Ryan Beach Trumpet, easy to find on all the platforms. <laughs> uh, well, thank you again, Ryan, for coming on the show. And to everybody listening, thank you so much. And I will see you on the next episode. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Building Stronger Creatives. If something you heard resonated with you, I would love for you to share this episode with someone else who might enjoy it. I also always appreciate comments, ratings, and reviews. These things help me get the word out to other creatives who could benefit from this type of information. See you back on the next episode. Until then, stay curious, stay passionate, and stay strong.